0: Are you that weirdo who always brings up a true crime case during happy hour? Well, good. This is a podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. Hello, friend. Hi. It's been, I feel like it's been such a long time. And it's only two days later. I know. Our recording got pushed back a couple days because life happens. Life happens happens. So hi there. Welcome. I'm Cassie and I'm Tiffany. (laughs) And See, it's been two days and we forgot
1: our intro. We forgot everything. We forgot our names. We forgot how to do this.
0: (laughs) Where am I? What podcast is this? This (laughs) is Happy Hour Gets (laughs) Weird and we are a... We're a weekly podcast and we talk about weird topics and drink drinks while we do it. Yeah, this week we are drinking blood orange margaritas because it's national margarita day on saturday we wanted to be festive and it's citrus season Mm -hmm. in california and who doesn't love the color of a blood orange these drinks are beautiful most importantly delicious Mm -hmm. and they get the job done as far as as buzz goes
1: yes they're great yes make these You'll impress any person that comes over to your house. Most definitely. And we will have our recipe and a beautiful drink picture up
0: on our Instagram. Happy Hour Gets Weird Pod. Yep. Also, our Twitter.
1: Please find us on Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. We're very new to Twitter, so we're still trying to figure all
0: the stuff out. out. Tweets. The tweeting going on. The RTs, all that good stuff. Yeah. So we'll have a picture and the recipe on our social media. And, um, this week we're getting into a true crime case. Yes, we are. As a matter of fact, we're actually covering our very first heavy hitter, if you will. We're doing a serial killer this week. Yes, and it's a local case. Yeah, we decided to start our serial uh, our heavy hitter episode or serial killer episode with a local for for us local, which is the Uber Sutter area in Northern California. Yes. Um, So do you drum roll? Should we do a drum
1: roll? Let's just jump right in. We will get right to it this week. First and foremost, I'm going to cite my sources. We use the Deviation Diaries blog, which is a local blog that we both really appreciate. We chose this as a main source because she is local Mm -hmm. and she devoted a lot of time and research to the case that we're doing today. Mm -hmm. She did a great job and paid special attention to the victims. Yeah. So I just want to give them a shout out. Please check them out. I also read an article from Appeal Democrat called Juan Corona Crime of the Century and an article from thoughtco.com called Juan Corona, the Machete Murderer. Also, I looked at a Radford University website page and... um. I always kind of double-check timeline information from Wikipedia. So those are my sources. Okay. On this episode, we are covering a lesser-known case. Unless you were local to this area, you probably haven't heard of it. The case was covered pretty heavily at the time, but it isn't one that is really talked about today on true crime shows or podcasts for that matter. Have you seen it covered anywhere? No. Me neither. I wanted to cover this story, not in order to bring attention to the murderer, but to remember that every type of victim matters. Yes. Today we are covering the serial killer, Juan Corona, also known as the Machete
0: Killer. Really? I didn't know he was known as the Machete Killer.
1: But like I said, it's not really covered, so.
0: Machete Killer. I mean, as far as serial killer nicknames go, that's a pretty good one.
1: It is a pretty good one. Was it
0: dubbed by the media or by? Did he give himself a nickname? No, he didn't
1: give himself a nickname. Oh, He's not BTK. Fucking BTK oh, yeah. Dick. God. Okay, so Rachetti Killer right off his face. Okay, let's get into it. Okay. Juan Corona was born in Jalisco, Mexico, on February seventh, nineteen thirty-two. He had nine siblings and three older half siblings on his father's side. Unfortunately, there isn't much information known about Corona's early years. We even reached out to the Deviation Diaries blog thinking maybe she had picked up on something that we didn't Mm -hmm. find in our research. But I don't really think there's much known other than he had a kind of typical childhood in Mexico for the time.
0: Yeah, Anna is She is an advocate for the victims and she's uh, met some of the the remaining family members of the, of Juan Corona's victims and people that knew him and knew the family. And she said that by all accounts, it was a pretty average, normal family, normal childhood that they were all pretty nice. Yeah.
1: His older half brother Navidad migrated to California in 1944 There were many jobs open during World War II that brought in immigrants from Mexico.
0: Mm
1: In 1950, at age 16, Juan Corona followed followed his brother to California illegally. He worked on farms around the Sacramento Valley area and attended night school to improve his English. He's a real
0: go-getter. He was busy.
1: I mean, 16, he was working, going to school. By 1953, Corona had moved to Yuba City. On December 24th, 1955, a levee along the Feather River broke. Yuba City endured devastating flooding. 90% of the town and surrounding farmland and ranches were flooded. 38 people died. Many of those people were undocumented workers trying to fix the levee damage. Oh, no. Hundreds of people had to be rescued. Corona was traumatized by this event and had a complete mental breakdown.
0: This was a really pivotal point in his life, this whole incident. Mm. So he was 23 years old and it was a pivotal point in his life. I'm I'm assuming he had to see quite a bit of fled victims. Did he was he part of the cleanup crew, do you know?
1: Um I don't believe he was. It didn't it didn't say that he was. But Corona, like I said, was really traumatized by this. Mm-hmm. According to some sources, he had always had a fear of
0: water. Oh, okay. And then he ended up moving somewhere that is literally surrounded by waters and levee. Yes, where floods Levy.
1: are known to happen. Mm-hmm. After the flood, Corona began to have vivid hallucinations and believed that he was seeing the ghosts of former residents. So he believed that the he thought that the
0: surviving Yuba City residents were ghosts. Weird. Okay, so sounds like a psychotic break of some sort. Yes,
1: he was hallucinating, seeing ghosts, and then when an actual living person would talk to him, it would freak him out. He He, like I said, he had like a total breakdown. Whoa. Okay. In January of 1956, so very shortly after the flood, Navidad had Corona committed to a psychiatric hospital in Auburn.
0: Wow. I didn't know that.
1: Okay. Yeah. He was really unhinged. There in Auburn, Corona was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic.
0: Right. Well, this is 56. So was he paranoid schizophrenic? Or Or was, was that the catch
1: all for any sort of mental illness? Right.
0: So I mean, but look, I think schizophrenia does set on early twenties. Yes. And he that's was the t- 23, that's the 24. Age that
1: If you do have schizophrenia, it usually sets in at, at, at the age that he yeah. was. Okay. So this might have actually been so an accurate be. diagnosis.
0: Right. Okay. Hallucinations, audio and visual, yes. I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. All right. Interesting.
1: Yeah. As his treatment, Corona received electric shock treatments which was typical of the time. Okay, well, that's not good for anybody. No, especially not 23 treatments over a three-month period. After the 23 electric shock treatments, the hospital found him cured and deported him back to Mexico.
0: Oh, my lanta. Okay,
1: I'm, whoa. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Later that year, Juan Corona returned to California legally. In 1959, he married a woman named Gloria Moreno, and they had four daughters. Corona was considered a hard worker, although he was known to have rage issues.
0: Right. Well, 23 electric shock treatments. I'm not even sure if I wouldn't have rage issues. Yes. That's,
1: yeah. That's also, I guess, a little bit of foreshadowing. People saw something there. In 1962, he was licensed as a labor contractor and hired workers for local fruit ranches. In early 1970, Corona had another mental break, which resulted in him briefly being hospitalized again.
0: All right. So let me just break that down. So basically the farmers and ranchers would come to Juan Corona and say, Hey, I need uh, X amount of workers for my farm. Can you round up 15 uh, men that could work the orchards? That's what he did for a job. Yes. Okay. And then he had another mental breakdown. Yes. In early 1970. Okay.
1: A couple of months later, After Corona's mental break, Mm -hmm. a young man named Jose Rea was attacked in the restroom of Navidad's cafe, now known as the Silver Dollar Saloon.
0: Yeah. And he was, uh, there was a man, he was there and he was attacked in the restroom. Yes.
1: He was attacked with the machete and nearly scalped. Oh, shite. Rea didn't see his attacker, but sued Navidad and won the case for $250,000.
0: Why would he sue
1: him? Navidad sold all of his property and fled to Mexico to avoid paying restitution. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>.
0: shit. So,
1: <laughs>
0: Real sweetheart. That, yeah, that's fucked up.
1: On May 19th, 1971, a farmer named Goro Kagehiro
0: found a large fresh hole in his peach orchard. Uh-oh. Fresh holes are never a good sign. You find a fresh hole, you just call the police. 911. 9-1. I have a fresh hole. It's not a good sign. It needs to be inspected. None of the employees that Kagi
1: Hiro questioned knew what the purpose of the hole was.
0: Wait, so it was, uh, just to clarify so I can have a a picture in my mind. Now, was it like a hole or was it a freshly covered up hole? I'm getting there.
1: Oh, okay. Later that night, Kagi Hiro returned to the site to find that the hole was now filled. Mm. So empty hole. Morning, filled hole by night. He called the sheriff. The Sutter County Sheriff at the time was Roy Whitaker. He was 31 years old and the youngest sheriff in the state at the time. I'm just
0: going to say that's a very young sheriff. Yeah. A body was found in the hole. As you typically
1: yes, find it, in
0: holes. No surprise
1: there. The victim's shirt was lifted and his penis was exposed. Wait, what?
0: Yeah. His shirt was like the, there was the, like, it was raised up yes. above his torso. Yes. Okay.
1: The body was later identified as a transient laborer named Kenneth Whitaker. Bizarre that he shared the same last name with the sheriff, yeah. but there was no relation. And I had to double check this because I thought that there was a typo. Okay. Cause they both had the same last name. And then later when I was reading a separate article, they, they commented what on it. What a
0: coincidence. I know. It's very strange.
1: A few days later, a body was discovered on the nearby Sullivan ranch.
0: Mm, okay pretty popular ranch in this area another random
1: hole was found and having heard the news about the body on kagihiro's property they immediately called law enforcement the bodies quickly added up the victims were hacked beaten and usually nude from the waist down
0: interesting twist
1: one had been shot and one had been stabbed with a smaller knife the men had been sodomized and murdered the victims were considered drifters Some recalled seeing a few of the victims sleeping on park benches near Navidad's cafe. Okay. Some were farm workers, but usually only had jobs for small periods of time. I'm sure because of these victims' life circumstances, their murderer considered them easy prey.
0: Right. Just like sex workers. Exactly. Or runaways or... Anybody who's... People who live on the fringe of society. Yes. Mm -hmm. And
1: anybody without any sort of attachment that would notice them missing immediately. Right. Right. Along with the mutilated bodies, police found several receipts signed by Juan Corona. (laughs) Like, don't fucking throw your garbage away, maybe. (laughs) He was autographing Fucking asshole. (laughs) So
0: ridiculous.
1: He's like, just in case you wanted to. (laughs) So stupid.
0: Just in case you had any questions about who committed this murder, let me sign my name. Here's my phone number. Yeah. In case you
1: need me. On May 26, 1971, law enforcement armed with a search warrant searched the home of Corona. Some of the evidence found at the Corona residence included a bloodstained club, a pistol, digging material, grocery receipts that matched those found on the bodies, an 18-inch machete, and a ledger with 34 males' names and dates. At this time, the body count was 12. Two days later, it was 20. Oh, no. The body count rose to 25 and the search for Corona's victims was officially called off. The orchards would need to be heavily watered and detectives wouldn't be able to access them to properly search for much longer. Well, that's kind of fucked up. Juan Corona had killed 25 men and at the time was America's most prolific serial killer. And this was 1977. Nope,
0: 72. 72? <laughs> yeah. Oh shit, I was way ahead of it. Yeah.
1: The following year, Dean Corll beat him. Corona's first trial was September of 1972 in Fairfield. The defense was granted a change of venue.
0: Okay. Okay. I was just going to ask why I was in Fairfield. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: The first trial was for the lack of a better term, a total shit show. Prosecutors mishandled or lost evidence. Forensics ran late. Corona changed defense attorneys late in the game and went with a man named Richard Hawk. Hawk decided to throw out the former attorney's defense of innocence by reason of insanity, which seems like a logical defense, right? He had been hospitalized
0: twice. He had a record of hospitalization. He was a diagnosed diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic. He'd had two mental breakdowns that we know of.
1: Yeah, that are documented. I mean, that's setting a precedent for... Seems like a logical logical defense, but Hawk decided to... But also,
0: here's the thing, though. Also... I feel like if you were murdering people and your defense was insanity, would you hide the bodies? You wouldn't know between the difference between right and wrong as an insane person. I feel like out the window, he I, hid the bodies.
1: I am not saying that Corona didn't know what he was doing. I believe that Juan Corona knew exactly what he was doing. What I'm saying is, is if you were his attorney, it seems like that would be the obvious defense that you would use well,
0: i just poked a thousand holes in his defense well then
1: the, uh, the and i'm like nowhere yeah, near but then, but then you could say obviously he's insane he basically autographed the bodies <laughs> no fucking no. sane person would do that no not insane stupid <laughs> i'm just saying he it, it could have worked right it, it seems logical to use it but hawk decided to throw out all of that okay he also never m- even made mention of Corona's schizophrenia during the trial and called no witnesses. Really? And I will say, maybe it's because this attorney took on the case in return for the exclusive literary and dramatic rights to Corona's life story. That what? was the payment. The payment was Corona's life story.
0: Okay, that is a conflict of interest for sure. Doesn't it seem like it? Yeah. It's bizarre, it's weird. Are you allowed to do that? That actually, I feel like sets your case up, Juan Corona's case up for appeal later down the road. Wow, there's a little foreshadowing for you. Good job, Cassie.
1: The presiding judge was disappointed in the trial proceedings. He made he made it known the whole time, because like I said, the whole trial was kind of out of control. Right. During the trial, Corona also suffered two consecutive heart attacks. Okay. Which. Further delayed the trial. This whole thing was insane. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Finally, on January 1973, Juan Corona was found guilty and sentenced to 25 consecutive life sentences. Okay. I also want to note that during this trial, California had abolished the death penalty. Mm -hmm. The 1970s, what is now referred to as the golden age of serial killers, probably wasn't the best time to do that. No.
0: Absolutely not. 1970s were the golden age of serial killers. Now we're in a very different time. We're in like the golden age of mass murderers. but Mass shooters. Mass shooters.
1: Yeah, it's just ironic that that was the time. It is ironic. That they chose to do that. In 1978, Corona was granted a retrial as his first attorney was ruled incompetent.
0: So Hawk was determined uh, incompetent, which, uh, yeah, it sounds like he just wanted a book deal and was like, yeah, 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 Mr. Corona, whatever. We're going to get through this trial, but I, I have the rights to your, to your life story. I don't even know how that's allowed. I mean, I, oh God, leave it to a sleazy lawyer to like <laughs> have the, are we being mean to this lawyer? <laughs> well, he's a lawyer. I don't care. But like, have it, leave it to a lawyer. It's so typical lawyer to be like, oh, by the way, I'm going to represent you for your life story. You're going to be in prison and I'm going to make a million bucks on your life story.
1: Which he clearly fucking didn't because he didn't do shit with this story.
0: Well, yeah, he, he was a crap biographer because we have no idea of Corona's childhood background. So
1: shit, shit job on that trial, shit job of owning somebody's life story. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah corona's new attorney at his second trial called some 50 witnesses Mm -hmm. and the defense attributed the murders to corona's now deceased brother navidad so so they blamed it on navidad yes who was dead at the time of the second trial okay interesting it is interesting and i wouldn't be surprised if navidad had something to do with it just because the first attack did take place at his restaurant if it He had to have known who or what that whole situation was about.
0: Well, I don't know. It depends because you and I have both been in the silver dollar multiple times and it just depends on if the layout is the same because right now where the restrooms are, it's like you can see who, like the bathrooms are down a hallway and you can see who's going into the restrooms, you know? Yeah. It just kind of depends on what the layout of the restaurant was and if the bathroom was secluded and maybe there was a possibility that nobody saw who it was but I mean I would notice a man holding a machete covered in blood coming out of a restroom
1: yes or just notice a machete in general (laughs) that's a large weapon it's not a tiny little knife in somebody's pocket uh, yeah you're right
0: but maybe you could hide it in your in your coat the you know in your machete coat. coat your trench coat yes
1: maybe just seems suspicious and I wouldn't be surprised if Navidad at least knew about what was going on Right. The prosecution's main witness was a Mexican consulate who had met with Corona while he was in jail. He claimed Corona told him, yes, I did it, but I am a sick man and a sick man can't be judged by the same standards as other men. But the uh, Corona's attorney countered this, claiming that Corona had not actually said, yes, I did it, but a hypothetical if I did it. All right. The prosecution also dismissed Navidad's involvement because there was no evidence he was even in the country at the time. Because remember, he had fled to Mexico. Right,
0: after the lawsuit.
1: Yes. Although he could have come and gone. He could have been there for some of it. We just don't really know.
0: I mean, for all we know, he could have planted the receipt on the bodies.
1: But he was out of the country for at least some of the crimes. Okay. The trial took seven months, but the outcome was the same. Corona was found guilty again
0: right because he did it
1: because he did it corona served his sentence in corcoran state prison corona was attacked in prison and blinded in one eye really
0: wow that's weird
1: it's intense yeah in 2016 at his last parole hearing he finally admitted to killing some of the men but claimed it was because they were trespassing
0: he was yeah n- but why were their penises out yeah
1: he never really admitted to his crimes fully, and he also was known to refer to the men as winos as a way of dismissing the magnitude of his crime. Right. He just kind of acted like it, it you know. Well, they were whinos. Well, like, who cares? So who cares? Yeah. yeah. Well, we care. It's like fucked up. And he never really admitted his true crimes, although it they were clearly sexually motivated crimes.
0: Right. Well, I think okay, so the only thing maybe I do know about the case was I think Natividad was it was he homosexual? Yes. Okay Navidad was Oh
1: Natividad. <laughs> Natividad, also known as Navidad. Navidad, sorry. Was homosexual. Okay, that's what I thought. And on one of the victims there was what they called homosexual literature. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it was a magazine. Probably
0: a, a porn, pornographic yes. magazine. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Found on one of the victims, mm-hmm. which I probably was Corona's since he, I guess, was just burying his garbage with the bodies. I don't think that if he picked somebody up on the side of the road, they would have just had a porno mag in no, their back pocket. but
0: here's a theory. What if he lured them there with a pornographic magazine?
1: He could have done that. So, the prevailing theory based on the evidence was that Corona would dig a hole in advance, pick his victim, sexually assault, and then stab them to death. He never fully said what happened. I It is frustrating to me that there's so little known about his early life mm-hmm. and exactly what happened mm-hmm. during the murders because he never fully admitted to it. But it's... A different sort of an attitude with this crime than a lot of serial killers that we see because usually serial killers that we see will talk about their crimes after they're caught and embellish on their stories even. Make their stories sound even worse. Pretty much every serial killer that I can think of has done that. They'll claim that they were possessed by a demon like Son of Sam or they'll say that they were cannibals when they really weren't or they'll say that they have way higher numbers than they really did.
0: Uh, you know what? Actually, Juan Corona sounds a lot like Ted Bundy to me. Ted Bundy really is like, we all know what you are. Just quit. Just stop. Yeah. With the excuses. I mean, it sounds like Juan Corona used his mental illness as an excuse. He didn't tell the full scope of his crimes. Like Ted Bundy did not tell the full scope of his crimes. He tried to act like he didn't do all the horrific things that he did. Yeah. And the only reason we know that is because of the forensic work that was done on his victim's remains.
1: Yeah. And at the time in the seventies, the same kind of forensic work couldn't be done. And that's probably why we don't know any more details.
0: Yeah. So I feel like this Juan Corona is just your average piece of shit serial killer. It doesn't want to take responsibility just like he was objectifying his victims.
1: And he definitely used his mental illness. He definitely blamed his mental illness for why he did the things that he
0: did. Right.
1: Just because you suffer from a mental illness doesn't mean that you would do these things.
0: No, absolutely not.
1: Mental illness does not make you a murderer. No. And that's basically what he was trying to claim, which is total bullshit. Yeah. And fucked up. He just didn't want to take responsibility. He just did not want to take responsibility.
0: And I think maybe it was that he didn't want to admit that he was attracted to men. I don't know. Yes.
1: All right, so let's get back to his victims. The 25 victims of Juan Corona were honored in two separate memorials, one at St. Isidore's Church and one at Yuba City High School's football field. A woman named Judy Freeman tried to fundraise for a memorial marker for the 14 men who were buried together. I'm assuming they were not claimed. And a Chicago funeral supplier heard the story and offered a marker free of cost. Oh, that's nice. The community was kind of mixed. Honestly, some people weren't incredibly saddened by it Mm -hmm. other than the fact that it was a bad mark on the town right? because the victims were transients, Mm -hmm. while others were obviously devastated by the fact that this happened to people who were basically guests of the community. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in learning more about this case, please visit The Deviation Diaries, the blog that we mentioned at the top of the show, she has a lot of information about this case, as well as other crimes mm-hmm. in the Yuba area.
0: Yeah, she her name's Anna, and she um, actually is a forensic anthropology student at our local college. Very and, cool. Uh, yeah, and she um, seems like a pretty cool chick. She's great at research, and um, she does cover a lot of other cases, and she just is, has a thirst for knowledge when it comes to true crime.
1: In this case,
0: as with any case,
1: I hope you always remember the victims first. These 25 men and also the nine unidentified names on Juan Corona's ledger. So, I am going to read the names of the recovered victims of this six-week murder spree. John Smallwood, Sigurd Bierman, Mark Shields, Joe Carryvu. Raymond Muchache, Kenneth Whitaker, Melford Sample, Charles Fleming, John Haluka, Warren Kelly, Donald Smith, William Camp, Albert Riley, Paul Allen, Clarence Hawking, James Howard, Edward Cup, Albert Hayes. John Jackson, Lloyd Wenzel, and Joseph McZeck.
0: Are those their ages? Some of some them. Of them?
1: Have, some of them have their ages. Yeah.
0: Okay, so these were not young men.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Oh wow, these were older men.
1: Older men that probably couldn't defend themselves against him because he was younger. Actually,
0: that is. Surprising to me. I thought they were young men. Wow. These men were from their 40s into their early 60s. Yeah. Wow. That is such an interesting layer to his victimology. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. And sad. And it it, it, it is sad. Yes. We'll
1: post pictures of his ledger. Okay. Pages. Yeah. And a few other pictures so disturbing and so scary. And can you believe that all of these things would go on without somebody noticing? This is a small community. It's chilling, Well, honestly. Just
0: the sheer amount of people that are needed during a harvest, it is very bizarre that someone wouldn't see Juan Corona digging holes, wouldn't see... People did mention that they
1: saw at least a couple of the victims in his truck so people did see that but they didn't see the violence or the digging or the
0: covering of the crime i'm assuming that happened at night then when the orchards are empty yes i've been to orchard bonfires where you you know that was like our style of partying god
1: could you imagine that was all we did too could you imagine stumbling upon that at Uh your kager? no fucking traumatizing
0: yeah I mean, and would I have the peace of mind to recognize a grave, a freshly dug empty grave it, uh, at a keg orchard party? No, probably not. Probably not. I mean, I, I, it's just so weird. I guess there's, you know. It's sad. It's a sad case.
1: And it's, it is a little frustrating that we don't have more details on it. But it's, I think at the time, they felt like they had enough details.
0: Well, for me... Who I am as a person, even though I like, I'm kind of like that. I like the details, but then I don't like the details. Like mm-hmm. I want to know the details. Yes, I'm the kind I, of person that like, looks at the crime scene photos. Like, and then I'm like, Oh God, why did I do that? Why did I fucking do that? But I do it every time. Like, I, I'm just the kind of person who wants the details.
1: I just like to know more about early childhood. Mm-hmm. Me too. Because I'm interested in nature versus nurture kind of thing. And we don't have that information. I'm also interested to know his whole entire process just because that Is fascinating. Might, might reflect on A trauma that he had as a child.
0: Well, and the psychology behind the reason why someone ends up being a serial killer is so fascinating. And because we don't know his process and because we don't know really his background. Yeah, we know he had some mental breakdowns, but like people have mental breakdowns every day. They don't turn into uh, sexual sadist serial killers.
1: Yes. And this is at a time when the concept of a serial killer was new. Mm -hmm. When the concept of the psychology... Of a serial killer was very new. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that we don't have that information because I think that people didn't think they needed it. Right. They caught him. He was the bad guy. They put him away. Case closed. Case closed. Mm-hmm. But if we can't learn from these, the broken mind of a serial killer, Yeah, that's the only thing that we can gain from these horrible crimes right. is some sort of knowledge that can help us prevent them from
0: happening in the future. Exactly. And I think that's why I'm so fascinated with the just it's just with the psychology behind a serial killer and what makes them tick and why they do what they do and their their process and you know uh, you know the different types of serial killers are fascinating like you know you have a sexually motivated serial killer and then you have a what rage motive motivated serial killer I mean you just the the differences and the reasons why they're different and the reasons why they do what they do in the first place is just so fascinating to me and it it does make this case in very frustrating because there's so many unanswered unanswered questions which is is frustrating
1: for me it's frustrating but it's still it's still an interesting case there's still a lot there even with all the stuff that we don't know
0: oh man I just love to read those police reports (laughs) I'm so fucked up maybe they're online I mean maybe. maybe we
1: should look for them
0: it's a pretty interesting case that I don't think a lot of people know about. I haven't really seen any... I haven't either. ...shows or heard any... Other than the Deviation Diaries, I haven't yeah, really read any like dedicated blogs or shows to Juan Corona and his victims. Same. Um,
1: and I hope that in doing this, we just remember that every type of victim matters.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And not just the victims that we see on TV. Not
0: just the white ladies. Yeah, everybody, all of the victims matter. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many cases that don't get media coverage, um, because they aren't, you know, th- because they're, it's, the victim's a minority yeah. in some way or another. And, you know, sometimes media coverage really helps bring out tips and exactly. And um, gets the case
1: solved. The squeaky mm-hmm. wheel gets the grease
0: or it's like, Oh, Hey, wait a minute. I've seen that person or I know that and I, I know that person or that, that, Description kind of sounds familiar to me exactly. or, or, or something like that. So, um, all right. Well, that is the our first serial killer episode. And he was a pretty, pretty big deal in the 70s before Dean Corll. I mean, he, he, he was. It was like a big deal. Yeah. And then Dean. He was
1: the most prolific serial killer when he was found. And his ledger had 34 names on it. Yeah. So those. Um, so if that's accurate, he even had more victims than
0: Gacy. Right. I think Gacy had 33.
1: Yeah. And, so if um, his ledger is accurate, then he was the most prolific serial killer until the 80s.
0: Right. And if, you know, Dean Coral didn't decide to rear his ugly head at the time that he did, then, you know, maybe the other nine victims or 11 victims would have been would have been found. I know it had something to do with the um, cycle of the orchards. Right. They had to start yeah. a heavy water so they couldn't search for for victims any longer. Uh, I'm
1: almost wondering if there's somewhere else because I feel like by now something would have. I agree. Surfaced.
0: I, Oh my gosh. We're in the same uh, Like you're reading yeah. my mind. Cause I was just thinking maybe he switched his burial sites or because there. Something would have popped up in the last yeah 30 years. I agree. 40 years now. geez, 50 years. Oh, oh my, my goodness. Woo. All oh right. Well, all right. Let's, let's end let's, that. Let's
1: wrap it up. Thank you for tuning in this week, guys, to our heavy hitter, Definitely not as lighthearted as our typical episodes, but we appreciate you listening.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes true crime can be a little rough for us to talk about just because we want to be sensitive.
1: To, yeah, to the, it's a heavy topic, to obviously. To the victims
0: and um, to the victims' families, and it, it's somewhat of a sensitive topic. So, But I do find true crime inter- interesting, and we will be doing more true crime definitely, uh, definitely. in the future. And we both 100% finished our delicious blood orange margaritas they were fantastic and we're actually out and i'm very upset about it
1: oh man we drank them all they were so good i know they were so good so um all right if you liked what you heard please leave us a review subscribe
0: and tell a friend yeah and don't forget guys hydrate meditate masturbate cheers to that cheers to that